Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, it's Mike Pownell again. Welcome back to the Oculus Insight Podcast, Veterinary Business Matters. I am joined this week by my partner in Oculus, my good friend, uh, Joop Lomans, based in the Netherlands. Welcome back, Joop. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's good to talk with you, all these business matters. Yeah, so what we're talking about this time, and I think it's a really timely topic, is it's just basically about education and business education for veterinarians in general. I mean, with although the economy is opening up and uh, restrictions are being eased about COVID, um, there's still a lot of uncertainty about the traditional fall-winter season about courses, uh, professional development, or continuing education events for veterinarians. So I thought, let's just talk about education business education we're a business education company but we'll talk about that specifically but yeah so i mean we had a summit we had two summits planned for the fall one in september in the united states one in europe in october and when this whole covid thing hit we had to cancel it and so yope and i have been scratching our heads going do we just skip a year do we do some virtual education so Yo, just in terms in generally, I mean, um, your background, you actually were a professor at the uh, veterinary college in Utrecht. Um, you have a strong interest and fascination with education. So where do you look at the business education landscape for veterinarians in general right now? That's a good question, Mike. And it's uh, this is something that I really like and embrace. I think when I worked at Utrecht University, I tried to be able to put some more business education in a, in a, in a common curriculum. But that's very hard because, as we all know, the, the curriculum for vet schools is already packed. Uh, still, I, I felt a sense of well, urgency, I would say, to, to at least make people a bit more business savvy. But it's difficult because uh, during the study, uh, vet students are not really focused or really interested in the business part. I mean, there are some, but but most of them, of course, started to do veterinary medicine because they love to work with animals. And the idea that business education, running a business becomes part of your professional attributes is something that comes later in a career. Uh, last week, however, I, I did a, a Zoom conference with uh, second-year students at vet school who did a little elective on, on business management. There were 40 of the 250 students, so they were, it, they were quite… That's a good number. It was not, not a bad number. Yeah. yeah. It's starting from scratch, uh, but I think that's where you should start. I mean, the, the, the idea that you potentially become a business owner or… I mean, it, it's also interesting to have business education or business background if you're an employee. It adds value to the practice. It can add value to your personal life. So in general, I think uh, going back to your question, how do you see business education for veterinarians? I think there are certain levels. I mean, you and I did our MBA program because we we really wanted to dig, make a deep dive and dig, dig into it. But of course, it doesn't all have to be uh, MBA level, and that's where our courses come in. 
So, you know, before we go any further, there's something you just brought up, and I think that's something I'd like to dig into a little deeper. And I think it's a, it was a neat insight, a keen insight by you, and that is you don't need to necessarily be a business owner to find value in business education. So as, a, as an associate veterinarian, there is value for business courses. Can you flesh that out a bit? Just sort of explain that, because I'm sure there's some people here listening and going, why I'm just, a, I'm not, I, don't have, I have no desire to be a practice owner, but you're saying that it might be valuable for me. So please explain that. It's also the perception of, uh, of, of a business as a, a lot of people who, who work uh, at veterinary practices as, uh, as an employee uh, look at the outside of the company and they, they have this idea that the, the, the boss will take 50% of all the revenue back home. And builds uh, this terrific house or this buys this expensive car, and it it helps to make people aware of how figures close to really look. I mean, we, you and I we very often did the hundred penny exercise, where you look at the total revenue of a practice, and you ask people to uh, and, and make that the hundred pennies, and ask people to put uh, an amount of pennies on uh, purchasing inventory or on uh, staff or on building expenses. Well, it's, it's, it's a bit too much to, to explain that in, in this podcast, but creating a kind of awareness on how the business works and how important uh, some things are. For instance, uh, that, you know, spending the, the, the biggest amount of, of money is spent on staff. Uh, it's, a, it's a big asset. It's important for a practice. People don't bring home 50% uh, they bring home uh, maybe 10, maybe 13%. Uh, so understanding how a business works, uh, I think also works for the employees to to get an, an, an idea on how the money flows, how important revenue is, how important it is to take proper care of your equipment. All these things, I think, create a better understanding, awareness of, of, of the practice. and. It makes you, let, let's put it differently, it makes people understand where they fit in and how, mm-hmm. how important their actions are for the whole company. I would say the other level too is just, I know, you know, some of the more valuable courses I took in my MBA or some other business courses, and I mean, you know, and even some of the Oculus courses that we had way back are the human resource or communication or leadership. Those are integral part of business. I don't think people necessarily consider them as business specific subjects, but they are. And I felt I became a better coworker, a better colleague, uh, better able to assist younger vets, support staff by the leadership and communication courses I took before. So I think that's a huge area where people can get value as well, not just the financial aspect. Oh, no, for, for sure. No, no, the financial is, is, is only a, a very a relatively, at least for me, it's not my hobby. Uh, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not one of those spreadsheet guys that really loves uh, uh, all the details, but, but to get to understand the business, I think is important. But for sure, uh, understanding communication, interaction between people, not only between you and your customers, but, but also between you and your colleagues, I think they are key. Yeah. What is building a brand? Why is marketing important for a practice? And why is marketing something that you can be proud of and you should be part of? It's, it's not a dirty word. Mm-hmm. In, I think in, in the uh, West European culture, at least when I finished vet school in '88, we were not even allowed to to advertise as a, as a practice. 
those are the things that you, you didn't do as a, as, as a doctor or as a veterinarian. And these things have changed. Um, and I think it's it's important also as as employees to understand how this all fits together. It makes you a better employee, I think. Uh, and but of course, it has to come from two ways. Um, so the uh, the employer also has his uh, has his responsibilities, of course. Sure, sure. So you talked about our MBAs, and so why did you decide you needed to do an MBA? I did my MBA at, a, well, like my PhD at a, at a later age. I was practicing a lot of things. I was practicing manage, managerial things in 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 the, in the clinic. I come from a very entrepreneurial family, and one way or the other, being a vet. Uh, was never enough. There was always something extra being uh, running the practice. So also in the in the first practice I started, we had six owners. I was one of them, and somebody had to take the lead. And I don't know why I was the youngest, but all eyes came on me. So I I did a lot. I practiced a lot, but I never had the theoretical background. I mean. You're also not going to do surgery if you don't have, if if you don't know uh, everything about surgery. So you can learn by doing. You can learn a lot. But I had a big, big need in myself, a big motivation to learn more, and particularly also to learn more from other industries. Uh, that's why I did my MBA, which was mainly with uh, medical professions. So it, uh, there were doctors, uh, uh, pharmacists, uh, dentists, uh, uh, but we also got a lot of of education from from logistical companies like Schiphol Airport, for instance. And it, it was fascinating to see how you can apply all these business this business knowledge uh, in in veterinary practices as well. So that's mm-hmm. that's that was my that's why I did it. I, I really was curious on on what the theory behind these things was and and how they did things in in um, in completely different industries, but also in 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 human uh, human healthcare. That's fascinating. It's a bit different from what I wanted to do. It's just uh, as running my business, I just felt uh, as I was getting older, as you said, more of a mature student doing it. I started my MBA when I was 50. And, uh, you know, you can make mistakes when you're younger and you have more time to make up for the mistake. But as you're getting older, you have less time for it. So I just thought, you know, you know, this is the early, I started mine in 2013. The world is changing and it's always changing. And I thought I needed to make better decisions or I needed to get a process to make better decisions. So you're never not going to make mistakes, but if you have a better process and, or you know how to deal with risk a bit better, you'll make fewer mistakes. Or when you do make mistakes, you have some sort of a backup plan. So this mistake is not going to cripple you. And so I think everybody has their own reason for going into, you know, any, whether it's superficial or in-depth business education. But I think that's one of the things that I found fascinating about business education is that you go in there and you think it's going to be a lot of accounting, a lot of business. And you find out that it, you know, some of the more valuable aspects, I, that, you know, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but taking out it was the leadership, it was human resources, it was marketing, it was strategy. Strategy was huge. I never really understood strategy in terms of how you put a plan together to make your business grow and, and survive and be resilient in all times. And so I think that's where it's, uh, there's something for everybody, I think, in business education. So I think even people that are 
veterinarians who are saying, oh, I'll never, I'll never, I don't care about business. Uh, I don't think they know all that's available. And so maybe that's a great segue into an area that we should talk about. And that is what is good business education for veterinarians? And what are some areas where we're not doing as good as we should in the profession? So what would be your definition of good business education for a veterinarian? Oh, that's, that's a nice question. I think good business education, actually, it's not so much different from good veterinary education. It, it, what it comes down to is learning to analyze a, a situation that you're, that you're facing uh, and having the right tools to deal with it and to make sure that you can implement it. What I see happening a lot in, uh, in the business education that, that we provide is you, you have, let's say, you have two kinds of responses in general. One is that people say, oh, I, I love this subject. I love this work, but I'm not going to do it. I understand how important it is for my practice. Uh, you've opened my eyes. I see the importance of HR, but I will never, ever be able to do it myself. Please come and help me. So that's that part of education. Uh, yeah, you can call it uh, creating awareness. Uh, people don't know what they don't know. That's something we, we, we say a lot to each other. So so. For some people, creating awareness is no, actually for everybody. Creating awareness is important, and then you have people that say, "Okay, it's important. I understand it. I get it. I'm never going to do it. Please come and help me." That's one group, and the other group says, "Oh, I love this. Give me more tools. I want to know more. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. I will make sure that I have time in my agenda to do it myself, or I delegate people in the practice to do it. But I want to be in charge personally." So I think. Both things work and both things are, I think, good education. The reason that I did my MBA was that I really wanted to do it myself. Actually, I did it already myself. But having education at a bit of a lower level where you become more intrigued and understand more how things work and also understand that you're not going to be the person to do it, that also makes sense. So I think... There is not one good business education. I think we have to look at it from different levels. I think what you said was really perceptive there, because I think one of the things I learned in my MBA is that you're not, you know, as a student, you're not going to be expected to do everything that you've learned well, but it does tell you of what you could use or what you could need, like the tools or the options that are available for you. So, you know, when it comes to like statistics, I'm not a statistics kind of person. Um, you know, you're talking about becoming an Excel spreadsheet wizard. Uh, I like it, but what it does tell you is that, Hey, these are some tools that are out there. So maybe when you're in a situation down the road, when you need a kind of statistical analysis that maybe, you know, this is when you hire somebody. And I think it just sort of shows you, it teaches you like good veterinary education. It teaches you how to think and solve through a problem, but apply it in business terms and understand the business I guess the factors or support tools that you have that you can use to help you make better decisions, just like us as veterinarians. I mean, we have a a wide range of diagnostic tools that we will use that will help us come to a a diagnosis of an animal's problem. And then we have the treatment modalities and and we have the same thing in business school. Uh, Or, you know, I know when I was doing my MBA, I was there for another vet and two human physicians and the four of us commented once that we were having an easier time analyzing cases or challenges with the company because as veterinarians we're trained to ask those questions we're trained to 
look at things from a diagnostic point of view. Uh, so I think actually as vets and, and people that are going to go into vet, vet education, we have a real advantage because we already think that way. And so we're already ahead of it. We have a systematic way of, of thinking and, and looking at, at problems and veterinary problems that face us. And you could do exactly the same in business. I fully agree. And then, I mean, you can diagnose, uh, I don't know, a, a, a a colic colon tor- torsion in a horse that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do the surgery thank god there exactly. are people that, exactly. thank god there are people that that are better at doing that uh, who, who are well educated one one of the things that i thought of when, when when you were just talking is what also pushed me a little bit into into the mba is private equity coming on the market and showing yeah. an incredible interest in our veterinary practices and i remember talking to to some of those people and they were at that time years ago before my MBA. They were too fast. I thought I understood what they said, but I was not absolutely sure. And I already had quite a lot of business experience. And then I thought, wait a minute, uh, maybe I'm never going into private equity. Maybe I'm never going to buy practices, but for sure I want to understand what they are talking about because they are talking about my practice or my profession. But they have a completely different language of talking about my profession than I normally use. So I want to understand this language. And that for me was also a reason to to become really interested in an MBA program, to understand what these people are talking about and also grasp why the heck are they so interested in our practices? Why do, do they want to buy us for so much money? So that was also a driving force in my in my decision to do uh, to do an, uh, an exec- executive MBA program. Yeah, and boy, that's when you learn a lot about private equity. And, and I mean, that could be a whole other discussion right now. But I just say, I always find it funny when people say, "Why do they want to give us so much money?" When the reality is, it's actually not a lot of money because they would not be investing in us if um, they weren't going to make some more money on the other side of it. So anyway. Let's not go down that rabbit hole too much. <laughs> it is an interesting. So road. it's it is fascinating, but I just I, you know I, you know that's a whole other subject, and maybe that we can have another podcast on that. That's one where I get really excited about because I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in that world right now. Let's go back to education, and you know we're at the point now where in person events. Not probably till the fall of this year, winter of this year, maybe into next year. So most everybody is going into online. We ourselves are doing a lot of webinars and podcasts and blogs. But I think there's some real significant webinar fatigue. But where do you see online education going and the kind of platforms we're going to need to to teach people business education? It's amazing what's happening at the moment Uh, and, and exciting too. Of course, we we try to come up with a with a good alternative for the in-person meetings we have, uh, and, and for sure that that will come back. But it it will become part of of a larger thing that we never really thought of or really started. The way I envision education is is a far more blended situation where you would have you you would still have in-person meetings, but you would for sure have um, meeting groups, chat groups uh, on social media or on your own uh, business platform. It, it will be more platform-based where you have access to to webinars with information, but where you also will have access to quizzes, to games, um, to far more online interaction with with the other people in your class. 
so what we will see is not something that will be less than in-person meetings, but I think the value will increase because of all the different aspects. Um, a nice example, we've done our summit program in, in different uh, places in, in the United States. We've done it in different countries in the Netherlands, in Europe. We've done it in uh, in China. We've done it in Australia and New Zealand. And imagine all the people traveling there and the expenses that you make. Also, the fact that you make different programs. Now, given the technology uh, nowadays, you could organize one summit online globally. So you would be able to get people from China, Australia, New Zealand, uh, I don't know, Singapore, uh, India, uh, Europe, uh, North America, South America, in the same program where you would be able to work in in different groups where you could work, uh, I don't know, together on a Google Docs document for uh, for an assignment. Uh, You will be able to connect one-on-one with uh, with uh, uh, colleagues from a completely different part of the world who have the same problem but maybe have found a different solution to that problem. So the way I envision education is that it becomes more instead of less uh, and that we will have more international education and more different modalities that together make an education program. Does, right. does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I look at this as an advantage. I think, you know, I've been involved in some of our associations and being part of the uh, business education segments at conferences. And typically, they're, you know, compared to the scientific, the medical portions, they're, you know, less attended. They're not, you know, not as popular. And it makes sense. I mean, I also think of it as if I'm a young vet and I'm going up the escalators to the classes or to the, the meeting rooms and, you know, to the left is like, how do I do, a, you know, laparoscopic surgery or how do you you know do dentistry in a dog or to the right you're like you got the business course and you're thinking i'd like to do both but i'm a vet and i want to learn i I can just think of this case i had of a dog that i needed to i wish i knew more so obviously and i get it they're going to go over to the veterinary scientific program and then the business is sort of like an afterthought and sort of like it's like going to the gym it's like i know i need to do it i need to be in better shape i just don't have time and i have other priorities and so I think being online actually gives us much more opportunities because people, you know, if they have more free time or they can do it more when it's more convenient, that I think actually this is actually an advantage for us to reach more people that, that want business programming. And I just think the same way for the people that are, you know, oh, I go to a conference and I, I'm torn. Well, now I have the opportunity to do it. So I, I, I'm, I'm all on board for this. Well, the, the idea that you that you can join or, or uh, revisit meetings who are recorded, that you can uh, you know you, you can you can watch them in your own time. Uh, of course, you will have moments where you have a schedule where you will meet everyone, but you can also you mean you can meet the whole group with a teacher, but you can also have one on ones with with other people. I think the in person meeting, of course. Also, the, the, the social aspect of it, that has always been an important part of our, our summits. For sure, that's, that, that will be not the same. It will be different. But 
look at all the opportunities that are there to to expand also for sponsors mm-hmm. imagine being a sponsor uh, at a big event you have to go to this event you have to set up your booth it's busy you have hardly any time for one-on-one conversations if you do that in a digital environment in an online environment you can make an appointment with the salesperson we didn't talk about it but if you look at the platforms out there that can do so many things that can you know you can Go to a virtual trade show, click on a, on a virtual booth and get straight straight away connected to a salesperson or to an expert that you can straight straight away one on one discuss i don't know the, the stuff the, the stuff that they sell or whatever so it's uh, it's incredibly important or incredibly nice to add these kind of values also for sponsors people people think and believe that there's less value for sponsors in in online or virtual meetings but i think there's more there's a better follow up with customers it's more personalized and there are beautiful platforms out there that make it all possible. Mm-hmm. And I think like anything that's new, we're going to learn and it'll just get it'll just get better and better. I just think the mistakes any of us will make as we're trying to transition to online is to try to d- duplicate the in-person experience, which is impossible. Because the in-person is, you know, that's when you catch up with old classmates, old friends, you meet somebody you haven't met in 20 years in the hallway. You know, that's the fun of the, going to an in-person. So I think... You know, we just need to do it better. One of the challenges is bridging the gap to having some more interactivity. I think people are starting to experiment with that, and I think technology will catch up to us. I think right now, actually, the technology is a limiting factor, and I think as we get more comfortable and everybody becomes, let's say, Zoom literate in terms of how to use your camera, how to use your microphone, whether it's Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google's or whatever, I think, you know, it's just going to be like, you know, just before when, when you, you'd you give a, a smartphone to your grandmother and they were like, oh, I don't know how to work with this or your mother. And, and now pretty well everybody knows how to use a smartphone generally. I still see some, some people with some flip phones. But um, I think as we're more literate, it, it, you know, the idea of online education will be more acceptable. But I think that, that other than just standing there for, with a, you know, a PowerPoint and somebody just droning on, reading the slides i just think we got to be you know it's got to be more interactive and it's got to be more suited to the medium as opposed to saying we're just going to imitate what we would do in front of an in-person event and just have somebody speaking i fully agree but what what will remain i mean you can you can build on the same goals that you have for your meeting so the idea of the of 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 a summit or 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 a conference remains the same eh? You, you want to share knowledge you want to get people connected these things you want to add value for your sponsors. Uh, these things will all all remain as your, no, as your as your uh, put it business wise value proposition. It's just delivered in a different way, and you should absolutely not copy it completely and have a like we have our summits from 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 eight thirty in the morning until six. You cannot be online all that time. No. Th- that doesn't work. Yeah, I'm on. A, actually, I'm doing a course tomorrow uh, with a company out of San Francisco, and they're like the world experts on creating presentations. And I'm taking it just because I'm curious of how they're going to do the online segment. And when I've noticed, it's a six-hour course. And instead of doing it all in one day, they split it over into two days. They have an hour and a half. Then it's a, you take an hour and a half break, and you come back for another hour and a half. So I think they maybe have figured out that 
three hours a day is about as much as anybody wants to sit in front of a computer or a video screen looking at things. So I'll be interested to see how they do it. Because I think if anybody's figured it out, it's probably this group. I think it's also not one size fits all. It, I mean, we, we learn very quickly. And to be honest, uh, you know, the, 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 the Zoom fatigue or the webinar fatigue, that's something that is for sure out there. Uh, so mm-hmm. you ha- you have to add more value. We have to be more creative, and and that's technology is changing every day. So, uh, for instance, uh, having a, an app on your phone for a virtual meeting where you can connect with people like you would do in a physical meeting. Um, th- these things are all there. It's all possible. So you can bump into somebody virtually in a in a meeting, and it's. I think it's also. I'm sorry to say so, Mike, but I think it's also a generation kind of thing that we, sure. s- we strongly believe in, per- in in-person meetings. But there's a whole new generation that has a completely different way of of getting connected uh, through social media, and and that's where we have to uh, to focus on. Well, I think both have their definite advantages, and I think you know we're, if we have this conversation a year from now, I think the online learning experience will be a lot different because i think you know we're we're being forced to adopt to this new way of doing it and people who are designers of of platforms and you've talked about a couple of platforms already i mean they'll just make it better and better and as we become more familiar we'll get better and better as being participants and our expectations will rise so i think i think it'll never replace uh in person but it's not it never was supposed to replace it and i think the in-person versus the online experiences are so different so we'll we'll figure it out yeah and any last words on education in general in terms of what you're seeing? I know you talk to a lot of the universities. Any last words that you want to leave us with? Not anything in particular, because I, I think the universities for sure are working very, very hard to get things going because of the of the COVID. At least in Europe, the, the regulations are very strict, so they will probably only have people later live back in the universities. So we we try to stay very close to the universities and see how they cope. Uh, And still we use our own ideas and perspectives. But for sure, it's going to be also for universities a a, a blended way, a mixed way of in-person and and online. Uh, We will just keep reinventing education. I think that's, that's what we have to do. Yeah. And I think the challenges of veterinary profession, just like it would be in the medical field or physiotherapy or whatever is, you know, we can do a lot of learning from home, but it's going to be hard to do the hands-on training that we need to do. So I think we'll actually probably get a lot of insight and expertise from um, universities, what have you, just because they're being forced to have to uh, raise their standard of delivery, particularly when you look at in the United States, when these universities charge so much money, uh, if you're charging, you know, forty, thirty-four thousand dollars a year uh, for a virtual environment, you better have a great, great online content to make it worth that money. Otherwise, why spend all that money? So, anyway, it's an exciting time for sure. But I, I think one another thing uh, uh, is the assumption that online education will be will be cheaper or easier than uh, in-person education but i think that's a myth i think that uh, successful online education uh, really uh, needs lots of efforts uh, it's far more complicated than in-person uh, education 
but I, I, for sure, I don't have an, uh, an answer for the for the clinical uh, clinical work. That will be very difficult. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a good point, and I think that's a good point to end on. Is I think that you know, if you're just doing the bare minimum, which is just doing a PowerPoint and talking, that's pretty straightforward. But if you're going to try to make this exciting, interactive, I think our level of standards of how we make presentations, how we you know connect people, make it interactive, that's going to require a lot of work. 100% agree for you. And I, and I think a lot of people are putting out free content now, like ourselves, but I think that will change as we everybody starts to realize we've got to do a much better job presenting this stuff. And, and with that comes a price. So yep. sure. as always, it's a fascinating subject. I always love your insights. I, I, I love the insights from uh, Europe and I don't think they're that different from what we're looking at in North America. So thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, we still have to talk about private equity in the future. Oh, we're going to have to do that. Oh, yes, very soon. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.